Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Stop to Think podcast. This is actually the second time I've recorded this episode. It's surprising, but I've actually made it pretty far without any major recording mishaps, but um, we finally had one. So basically, I'm going to have the exact same conversation with myself I just had, but a second time, this time hopefully recording the whole entire conversation so that you good folks can benefit from it. So, I apologize in advance for any discouragement that might be present in this one, because I have to admit, it is kind of a bummer to realize that you were literally talking to yourself for like a half an hour. But my sulking side, um, last episode we were talking about hourly and salary, hourly and salary compensation. So this episode, we're going to talk about... Um, This episode, we're going to talk about basically uh, commission compensation. And so, the rundown with commission compensation is basically that um, how commission works is it's usually used for people who are in sales. And what essentially happens is whenever the salesperson sells something, a percentage of that sale is given to the salesperson is compensation. So I had a bunch of great examples when I was talking to myself about how this all works, but we're going to pass on those now because yeah, having now talked through this once, I realized that I could probably streamline this a little bit. So streamlining, we shall. So with commissions, basically you have a three-pronged relationship that's going on. You have the benefits commissions from the perspective of an employer. You have the benefits of commissions from the perspective of the person earning the commissions, salesperson. And you have the commissions perspective from the consumer. So starting at the top, if you are the owner of a business and you're paying commissions to your employees, Commissions are actually the first form of compensation that's pretty great because it directly aligns the incentives of what you're paying these people for with your incentives. That is to say, if you're paying people commissions, basically the only way they're getting paid is if they're selling. And if they're selling, they're making money. So if you're making, you know, like the example that I used before was a car salesman. And by before, I mean when I was talking to myself. When you're uh, paying a car salesman commissions, basically, what ends up happening is for every car they sell, aka for every instance in which they make you money, they end up generating for themselves a percentage of that sale and income, which is usually much smaller than the percentage of that sale and income that they generate for you. So from an employer standpoint, the downside to commissions are that you could potentially end up paying someone an absurd amount of money. So you got to keep in mind that you're paying them for value. And certainly for some people, you could be paying a value premium. Like you might be paying them way more than you would have to for the amount of selling they're doing. But overall, every dollar that your salespeople earn is a dollar that they earned you at least. So for an example, let's say you're a car salesman and you sell 30 cars a month and each car is like $40,000 and that um, you get a 2% commission on each car you sell. 
So that basically means that every month you're going to make $24,000. So you, the, uh, the employer of this car salesperson is going to have to pay out $24,000 a month, which is a whopping $288,000 a year. That's a lot of money to pay someone. But what you got to remember as the employer is that for every dollar you're paying this, um, the sale, this salesperson, all 288,000 of those dollars correspond to basically like at least another 288,000 they made you, if not more than that. So it's, it's really not such a big deal to be paying, um, salespeople as the employer to be selling for you because they're at least generating value for you. As a salesperson, commissions are great because they tie your income to your abilities and your your sale strength, I guess. So if you sell more, you can make more, but if you sell less, you make less. And the downside to this is that you're kind of in an inconsistent place and sometimes, you know, you might end up with um but you might find yourself in a situation in which you're um, you're selling up a storm one month, but then the next month you're not. So if your budget remains constant from month to month and you don't have money saved up, you could potentially do a lot of spending in one month and then you could potentially be broke the next month unless you're careful about your money management. So overall, commissions are pretty beneficial for employers and employees who commissions aren't beneficial for is the consumers because basically the uh, salesperson and the employer are both incentivized to sell as much as they can for as much as they can. And what that does is basically pushes them to not to invest too much time in a sale with you because they want to churn through as many sales as possible. And it also pushes them to try and jack the price up as high as they can to increase their commission. If you're selling a home and you hire a realtor on commission, that can be potentially good for you because your realtor is incentivized to sell your home for as much as possible. But at the same time, depending on your realtor's workload, they might be able to make more money if they churn through and sell a bunch of different people's homes fast, as opposed to spending a lot of time trying to sell your individual home for as much as possible. So you got to take a little care there. On the other side of things, if you're trying to buy a house, well, then the commission system kind of backfires on you because basically your realtor and the realtor, the house seller you're interested in buying from is using they're both incentivized to try and jack up the price as much as possible to pretty much, you know, make a killing. They, they want to make as much money off the sale as they can. And that's not good business for you because that means you're going to have to pay a bunch more. Usually thousands of dollars more, which is not fun for anyone. So yeah, commissions are nice. They have their place, but they also kind of come with a couple of drawbacks, specifically the inconsistency aspects. But with commissions all the way, that kind of takes care of the, the big three compensation methods you probably find in America. You have hourly, you have salary, and you have commissions. Another type of compensation that is potentially popular, I guess, I don't know, 
you could have a per like if you're self-employed you could have a per project compensation set up so like basically what you would do is you would go and quote to someone how much a project is going to cost and then they pay you that amount and then bada bing bada boom you complete the project for them so this kind of sets up a potentially harmful incentive structure because if you're quoting just on project and you're not quoting on like hourly rates or anything like that. It's like, you're basically just giving them like someone wants you to build a deck and you tell them, all right, I'll build you a deck for $5,000. Well, what happens is if you can build the deck faster than what we would call the standard hourly rate, then you make extra money. But if it takes you longer to build the deck than the standard hourly rate, then you're losing money. And there's also the cost of like materials and all that stuff that has to get worked in. And so basically, um, payment by project can potentially be good and bad. It kind of depends on how you set it up. As a consumer, it can work well if you specify exactly what your expectations are for the project and that no payment will be given unless they're met. For a contractor, for a person working as working on working for payment by payment on a per project basis, this kind of compensation, this kind of a incentive structure can work out pretty well if you can consistently do things more efficiently than expected. But if you have a lot of instances where things are taking longer than expected, you might be undercutting yourself some pay. So there's there's another pretty common one. Uh, another type of incentive structure is like profit sharing. So um, this isn't too common, but the notion is pretty simple. Basically, uh, companies kick back to their employees a certain amount of money every quarter or month, whatever the, the interval might be. That's tied to how much profit the company generates because this kind of gives their employees a taste of being able to move the needle. So that is to say that, um, you know, if you're an employee and you can find some way to increase the profits, you're going to increase your amount of pay. You're not just, your fate is basically now tied to the success of the company, which is good because both hourly and salary don't really do that that well. They're, your fate with hourly and salary are tied to the company in the sense that if the company goes bankrupt, you're out of a job. But beyond that, you're not really incentivized to work any harder to, um, you know, generate extra value for your company. Whereas with uh, profit sharing, you do, in a sense, kind of have a bit of a compensation for um, for helping increase company profits. Um, besides profit sharing, I suppose there's like stock options. If you're like a big wig who is like an executive level and stock options are kind of good for, um, in terms of aligning incentive, because you're basically forcing the executive to, um, have a, have ownership in the company. Right. And so if they want to make money off their stock options, they got to increase the value of the company. But if they like bankrupt the company or drive it into the ground, well, congratulations. Now the stock is going to go down and you're going to lose money. So once again, you're tying your executive's fate to the fate of the company, which is good. 
unless your executive's a shifty little bugger, which a lot of them tend to be, in which case they might try and pump and dump, which is basically where they take short-term actions that's going to artificially inflate the stock price, such as share buybacks and that kind of stuff. And then they sell their stocks to make their money and then they bail. And then long-term reality hits and the company tanks and it's not good for anyone. So generally speaking, when you're working with executives, you have to be a little more nuanced with their compensation to make sure that they can't just pull those kind of schemes and ultimately do in your whole entire business single-handedly. So beyond that, we've kind of covered all of our basics. There might be a few fringe ones that I'm not thinking about. But by and large, those are all the big ones. Hmm. So where do we go from here? That's a good question. That's a very good question. Is there any incentive structure of the ones that we talked about that's better than the others? The answer to that is... It depends. That there is the answer to a lot of the large questions in life because as you get older and older, and this is what I'm finding out as I get older and older, it becomes more increasingly clear that there's a lot of nuance to everything and black and white, although they exist, are very often at opposite ends of the spectrum. And we live in a world of gray with most of our interactions. Same goes for our compensation plans here. So... What is the correct one for the correct situation? Hmm. Well, it depends entirely what you're trying to accomplish. If you run a company and you want your employees to go above and beyond for that company, you are best off setting up a custom combination incentive structure that incentivizes exactly what you want your employees to be doing. And basically what you want to come up with is something that's complicated enough to meet your needs, but simple enough that it's easy enough to understand so that employees don't get flustered by it. So what are you looking to provide with your incentive structure? Well, you want security. That's for certain. You also want to be competitive with the market, which is kind of unfortunate because that forces you to use compensation similar to your competitors. But beyond that, ultimately what you want to do with an incentive structure is you want to tie your employees' pay to what produces you value. And you want to do it in such a way that it doesn't allow the sacrifice of quality. So how is that done? Hmm. Good question. And it depends entirely on your position. That is to say that each individual position within a company could have a unique incentive structure. And it's only through having unique incentive structures through for each individual type of position that 
you're really going to achieve optimal function for everything. Because if you're trying to force everyone to go through the same pay hole, I guess, for lack of a better term, with reference being here to trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, basically, if you're trying to put everyone through the same pay hole, you're going to have gaps in the system that don't make sense. For example, if you, if you have salespeople, it doesn't necessarily make sense to pay them a salary. You might pay them some salary, like enough to keep them from like dying of starvation if they have a slow month. But at the same time, you kind of want them to have um, like, you know, a lot of their compensation being tied to the sales that they're generating because then you can kind of cut them loose and let them go make you money. With your hourly workforce, with, with the people like say if you have an assembly line or something like that, the people working on your line, you don't necessarily want to pay them salaried to in a certain extent because to a certain extent because you don't want them to basically be cutting out right you don't want them to like the minute that 5 30 on friday afternoon rolls around the, the jet you want them to be reliably there for their whole entire shift doing what they're supposed to be doing you want to avoid the problems that you kind of see in salary where you're basically incentivizing them to work 40 hours and absolutely no more or no less so that's why with hourly, you kind of want them to be paid for each incremental work that they do. But at the same time, you also want to tie their compensation to what they're doing, like what their actual job is. So like if, if your hourly workforce is manufacturing widgets for you, well then give them a kickback for every widget they produce that is sold that has no quality defects. So basically what happens is every time they make a widget that um, gets through quality inspections with no issues and is sold, they get 50 bucks or something like that. Cause then that's an instant incentive for them to be detail oriented and trying to increase production as much as possible without um, decreasing quality. If you have engineering workforce, your incentive structure for them might fall like more on the salary side of things. But at the same time, maybe set it up so that they can move the needle a little bit so that they can like, what, what are you incentivizing your engineer? What, what do you want your engineers to do for you? You want them to design for you a cost-effective product that is as high quality yet as cheap as possible that meets the demands of your customers in a competitive manner. So one way to do this is, so you're paying your engineer salary, maybe give them a kickback anytime that, um, that they manage to reduce the cost of something without sacrificing quality. Or another example is, you want to push innovation, create an incentive for every time that they do something innovative, like the innovative idea fund or something like that. Or, um, 
basically all of this incentive talk that we've just had for the last like 20 minutes in this episode and in the episode prior, all of this can be boiled down into basically basically all of this can be boiled down into basically what amounts to just communicating the goals of your organization to your employees and then compensating them for reaching those goals. That's the key here. You want to be transparent with the goals that you want your employees to accomplish. And then you want to incentivize those goals. And that's, that's the key to workplace incentive structures. And the failure to do this is going to result in a decrease in productivity. Because yeah, that's, that's what's, that's what has to happen. You, you got to set up your incentives in such a way that they incentivize what you want while also maintaining everything that you want to happen as well. So like, for example, with the engineering one, if you're going to pay your engineers a kickback every time they reduce the cost in something, well, then your engineers might start doing the cost reductions at the cost reductions at the cost of quality. So like you might have these special bolts, we'll call them M5 bolts that um, hold a certain load and are of certain quality. And then one of your engineers might find that, hey, we can save a dollar a widget if we switch to this other bolt. But it turns out that that other bolt is a lower quality. Well, unless the application is actually okay to be operating at the lower quality, 100% of the time, by switching to that bolt, you decrease the quality of your product and you're paying your engineer a kickback for it. And so basically you're incentivizing your engineers to make you something crappy. So for that to work with an engineer, you basically your incentive would need to be reduce the cost while maintaining quality. There's endless possibilities with this. And there's endless possibilities with the rewards and the benefits that you could reap from it as well. The more sophisticated your incentive structures, the, uh, the better off you'll likely fare. Until you reach that point where they're too sophisticated and they don't make any sense. So, with workplace incentive structures, like always, it kind of comes down to yet another balancing act and finding the correct balance for what you want to happen. But yeah, in a sense, incentivizing your employees at a, at a business is really not that much different than incentivizing your loved ones in your personal relationships. It all comes down to rewarding the right kind of behavior. You got to have a reward for what you want. And um, if the reward's big enough and the person wants enough, they'll figure out how to go about making sure that they get the reward. And that's kind of the key is basically setting your employees up in such a way that they know what they need to do, AKA they know their goals and they know that there's a reward for meeting the goals. Then if you do that, 
and you have employees who have a pulse and a small amount of at least a pea-sized grain of ambition, you should be set to have them pretty much doing what you want, which is, in this case, making you money, generating you value. Because that's the key here. But anyway, I don't really have much else to say on this. So... With that, I'll leave you with a, I guess, a preview in a sense of the next episode, which is basically going to be, we're going to look at the incentive structures in our society. So we've already looked at incentive structures and personal relationships and how they kind of come to play and how they can be used and how they can be abused. We've looked at incentive structures in the career and the workplace, how um, there's hourly, salary, commission, per project, profit sharing, stock compensation. There's all sorts of different incentives that are possible. So the last thing we have to look at is kind of like how incentive structures work in society. Like what do we as a people, specifically speaking of us American people, because that's the people that I'm most accustomed to here. What do we as American peoples incentivize in our society? What are we pushing people to do? How a how is it, what are we promoting? What's 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 our drive? What are, what 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 sort of things do we reward? What are we incentivizing people to do in our society? And that's what we shall discuss next episode. But in the meantime, thank you once again for listening. I hope you enjoyed, and um, yeah, I hope you have a great day. Bye for now. <laughs>